Whatever it is we do as the church, I think there are a few things that we can be confident in. Um, One is that no matter how great our plans are, or how optimistic we are, or how smoothly we think things are going to go, they will often go less smooth than that. Uh, There will generally be problems that will emerge, and usually they'll emerge from some unexpected place that we hadn't even considered before. Um, Another thing that I think we can be relatively certain of, however, is that while we might be caught off guard, and we might think there are problems that are insurmountable, God has yet to be caught off guard by anything, and there is no obstacle that he cannot overcome. So as long as we keep our faith in him, and as long as we uh, keep uh, obedience and faithfulness and trust, I think we can emerge with confidence. I think we can move forward uh, with resilience, because our resilience isn't found in ourselves or in our own strength. Our resilience is found in God himself. Jesus died on the cross. And that was something that was a shocking blow to many. And yet God was able to take the death of Jesus on the cross and from that to produce a message of life and forgiveness and hope and love. And through the resurrection, he was able to conquer death henceforth and forevermore. And so no matter what obstacle comes our way, even the enemy of death itself, the one that seems the most insurmountable, It's nothing before an all-powerful and almighty and omnipotent God. And so, as the church, I think we can always have hope. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've been seeing problem after problem emerge. And I'm going to give you a, a quick spoiler. We just finished Acts 15. We're moving on from there. And that's going to continue. Um, it is not smooth sailing for Paul. It, literally, he'll get into shipwrecks. Like, there's no smooth sailing in, in Acts. Uh, there is problem after problem after problem. As a matter of fact, we're about to begin our second missionary journey. And the, the journey is introduced with a great idea. In Acts chapter 15 and verse uh, 36, Acts chapter 15 and verse 36, it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. Well, what a great idea, right? It's like we want to go, we want to check on the brethren, we want to strengthen the church, we want to be a, you know, a benefit to the kingdom of God, and so let's go do that. Like, there's nothing bad about that idea at all. It's a wonderful plan. I think if the church had a meeting and said, hey, we need to come up with a good way to strengthen the churches, we could probably come up with some good plans and some good ways to do that. And yet, even with such like a good plan, by good people, Paul and Barnabas. Like, these guys have worked together. They are both known as, as, you know, positives in the kingdom. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. And you know what happens almost immediately as they begin this? A new and unexpected problem arises. A problem arises within the leadership. Um, We've seen all kinds of other problems. We've seen problems from like, uh, you know, trying to figure out doctrinal ideas about circumcision. We've seen problems from external factors like, uh, like persecution. We've seen problems from within the church, different sins. But now we're having like personal conflicts that are about to emerge. And we haven't really seen this yet. Between two great guys, Paul and Barnabas. In fact, the disagreement gets so sharp that they actually split up, and they don't go on a missionary journey together anymore. Paul needs to form a new team. Do you know how many 
wonderful ideas have been destroyed because of bickering and infighting among those who are supposed to be leading it? I don't know, but I bet it's a lot. Uh, there are countless uh, wonderful ideas that have come to ruin because of fighting among the leadership, among those who are supposed to be leading it. What this fight is about, it's about a guy named John Mark. Uh, the, traditionally, this is, fight is about the guy who wrote the second gospel, the gospel of Mark, the second one in our Bibles. Um, so what happened on that first missionary journey, all the way back in Acts chapter 13 and verse 13, there's this passage that says, And Paul and his companions put out to sea in Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And it's just one little sentence there, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Nothing said about it, but here it is several chapters later, an argument emerges about that. Should we take him with us again? John Mark is a relative of Barnabas, and Barnabas is saying, yes, we should give him a second shot. You know, maybe, maybe the, he wasn't, we're not even told why he left, but maybe John Mark thinks he had a good reason. Uh, maybe he thinks that he's grown and matured since then, and maybe he'll be able to stick it through. But Paul does not want to give him a second chance. Paul says, look, he had the opportunity, and he didn't make it, uh, so let's get a team that we know we can trust. And I'll say, if you're, you know, you can't take everyone on every missionary journey, and it's a really hard thing to do. I don't think Paul necessarily thinks that John Mark's a horrible human being, but maybe he thinks his gift isn't this. I, I can see both of them probably presenting some good arguments for why it is that they either should or should not take him. But either way, the argument becomes so heated that uh, they actually don't work together anymore. And they end up going in different directions. And so Paul needs to get a new team. He gets a guy named Silas uh, to join him. Silas has a good reputation. Um, he gets a, a guy named Timothy. He's going to go into a city, and there's a young man named Timothy. And uh, his father's a Greek, and his mother's a Jew. But he has a good reputation among the church. And Paul actually has him circumcised uh, in order to... Uh, perhaps uh, get inroads with the Jews uh, as he continues to preach. But he brings Timothy with him. And then there's also, when you get to chapter 16 and verse 10, they go to a city called Troas. And there's an interesting little pronoun switch that takes place uh, in, in Luke or in Acts that a lot of people have noticed. It says in chapter 16 and verse 10, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. And he switches from they and them to we and us for a short little po point, uh, which leads a lot of people to think perhaps the author himself, Luke, is now part of this team also. So Paul now has a new team, and he's going to go out on a missionary journey again, not with Barnabas and John Mark, but with a new group. All right, so uh, problem number one uh, seems to be some, some infighting among the leadership. But they end up getting a different group, and uh, they end up going and strengthening the churches. In fact, if you look at chapter 16 and verse 5, it says the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. So here's something that's cool. There was a problem, and the problem struck at the leadership, and there was a personal conflict. And yet, what did God do with that problem? Instead of this problem taking a great idea and turning it into nothing, instead what this problem does is... It gets transformed into now two missionary teams. It's like it multiplied the amount of good that can be done. And that's something I think that we'll see consistently as we go through the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit has a way of taking the cross, which immediately would be seen as a bad thing, 
and turning it into something in which you can put your hope. It takes a conflict between Paul and Barnabas, and it turns it into something to where now there's two teams that can go out and strengthen the church. It takes persecution, which makes you terrified that the church might not be able to handle it. But instead what happens is the church scatters, and they bring the gospel with them, and the church grows from it. It's like all of the problems that you think could derail or destroy the movement end up being transformed into some sort of of positive uh, ammunition for the movement. And the church isn't overcome. Rather, the church grows and spreads. And it does this over and over again. I just want to take note of some of the problems that emerge as Paul does the second missionary journey and note some of the positives that come from them. Number one, the fight between Paul and Barnabas, but it ends up leading to two teams that go out and continue to spread the gospel and continue to encourage and strengthen the church. That ends up being something that good comes from. Another problem, and this one we might not always think of it as a problem, but I could imagine it being a problem. I can imagine it being frustrating. Paul not only has a disagreement about Barnabas, or with Barnabas, about the proper way to do this missionary journey, he also has disagreements with God about the proper way to do this missionary journey. Paul has a couple of ideas that he wants to go do, that he thinks are great ideas, and God says no to them. Um, If you look at chapter 16 and verse 6, It says, they passed through uh, Phrygian and uh, Galatian regions, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go through Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So Paul is like having these great ideas. Hey, let's go strengthen the churches. And Barnabas and him can't agree on how to do it. And so then Paul says, okay, I've strengthened churches. Now I'm going to go over to to Asia and begin teaching there. And the Spirit says, no. He says, okay, I'll go to Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus says, no. And Paul's wonderful ideas are being met with rejection by the one he's trying to serve, by God himself. And, And I can't help but but think about how often perhaps the church may find themselves in a situation where we have great ideas, but perhaps they're not God's ideas. And we want to do something, but it looks like these things are failing. And, and what could happen is you say, well, God's not blessing us, or God is, is, is you know, against us, or something like that. And it may very well be that God's not against you, but he has another plan in mind, and perhaps we should be malleable. Perhaps we should be willing to change and willing to adapt to sudden unexpected changes as they arrive. Sometimes, sometimes it's not always easy to know. Is this thing failing because of Satan? Or is this thing failing because I am incompetent? Or perhaps the thing that we're doing, we shouldn't have a negative view about it at all. Perhaps it's not working because it's just simply not what God wants right now. And I think Paul keeps running into that, and that could be frustrating, trying to think, well, what should I do instead? And yet God does provide a mission. And what you end up finding out is God said no to Paul because Paul's plans perhaps were a little too small. God wants Paul to go into a completely new territory and to preach the gospel where Paul has not yet done it before. Paul's about to enter into Europe and preach the gospel there. Paul ends up taking the gospel with him to Europe, He ends up going into, uh, uh, he meets a woman named Lydia. He ends up going to Philippi, and he teaches her the gospel. She becomes a a part of this this kingdom movement. She becomes a follower of Jesus. And it seems like things are going to go well in Philippi, but then 
another problem emerges. We have the problem of him and Barnabas not getting along. We have the, Barnabas of, the problem of God telling him no. Now we have the problem, I think this is completely unforeseen. Paul is walking through Philippi, and of all things, there's this girl who has uh, like an evil spirit in her that she's able to seemingly tell fortunes or predict the future, and, and people are using her to make money, all right? Well, she sees Paul, and she starts proclaiming over and over and over again, uh, ad nauseum, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, she's not actually even saying anything bad in that, uh, but I think there are a couple of things at play here. One of them goes back to the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus often forbade uh, the false or, or evil spirits from declaring his own identity. Uh, it seems to be something that Jesus is going to do his own way, and he doesn't want uh, the, the spirits doing it for him. And perhaps Paul is following that suit, uh, or perhaps there's some sort of sarcasm that's taking place, or people are just watching Paul, and his girl won't leave him alone, and they're kind of avoiding him now. It's probably causing some sort of hindrance to what he's trying to do, and he ends up getting irritated at it, um, and he casts the spirits out. Now, I imagine... He thinks he's just going to continue going on and teaching after that. Casting a spirit out of someone isn't usually uh, the type of thing that's going to derail all of your missionary activity in a city. But guess what? Those people made money off of her. And Paul, if you mess with people's wallets, you get in trouble. Uh, so Paul casts the spirit out. He ends up getting beaten savagely and thrown into a prison. Problems. Problem after problem after problem. Unexpected problem. All he did was, was cast a spirit out of a girl, and now he's beaten savagely and thrown into a prison. It's like, is there any positive that can come from that? Yeah, if you know the story. Uh, what ends up happening is Paul and Barnabas are in prison together. They're singing. They're praying. They're making an impact among those who are around them. Then after an earthquake, they have the opportunity to escape. The, the jailhouse was, was damaged in the earthquake. They could have escaped, but rather than doing so, they stay behind. They speak with the jailer, and they end up going that night and baptizing him and his household. An incredible story of the unlikeliest of conversions that take place in Philippi. What happened was Paul was rejected and beaten and thrown in prison, and yet God used that to even convert the one running the prison. That's an incredible story. And it's just one more example of we can get down we can look around us, and we could, we could have seasons, every church goes through them, seasons where it seems like every problem you can imagine is hitting us. And they could be, be, be depressing, they could be sorrowful, they could be hard to overcome. But something that I think we always, always need to remember is no matter what problems come our way, God's not going to be caught off guard, and God's not going to be able to uh, be conquered by it. God is the conqueror. God is the one who makes us overwhelmingly victorious over whatever it is that comes our way. And I think Paul, as an example in Acts, shows that over and over again. In fact, he ends up leaving Philippi. He goes to Thessalonica. And he's only able to stay in Thessalonica for a couple of weeks is, is the way that it seems in, in Acts 17. It mentions three Sabbaths that he reasons with the Jews. And then he has to leave because persecution hits. And so, again, last time it was persecution because he cast out uh, an evil spirit. This time it's persecution because of what he's teaching in the synagogues. But he has to leave, and he leaves behind this, this you know, young, 
fledgling church in this, uh, this very difficult environment. And yet, what you end up finding out uh, on, on you know, Bill Walt is teaching on First uh, and Second or First Thessalonians, I suppose, on Wednesday nights, uh, and you find out that this church that Paul's not able to be with very long, he becomes really, really anxious about how they're doing. Turns out they're doing great. He sends Timothy to with them. Timothy comes back, and it's like what looks like the worst possible scenario for a good church plant. You can only be there a brief period of time. You can't even cover all of the most important topics, and you have to flee because of persecution, leaving that church in a dangerous, hostile environment. And the church thrives somehow. It's an incredible account of what happened with the church in Thessalonica. But that's what God does even when the problems emerge that we don't foresee. He goes to Berea, and I feel like Berea would just have to be crushing because he gets to Berea, and you know what? It's like the best he's ever had in a new city. People are open and honest, and they're wanting to study, and people are converting. You look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. It says, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Those in Thessalonica kicked him out pretty quick. These were more noble-minded. They received the word of God with eagerness. They examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They, they, were, they were wanting to learn more and more and more. Therefore, verse 12, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Have you ever like worked and had a problem and worked and had a problem and worked and had a problem? And then finally... You think you found the solution. It's like things are going great. Things have never gone better. The optimism as Paul goes to bed at night has to be through the roof. And then all of a sudden, the people who were causing the trouble at Thessalonica, they travel over. Like, just stay home and let me do this. They travel over and they start causing the same problems in Berea. And Paul has to be snuck out of there. That It's like... At that point, you just want to scream. You know, you're just so frustrated. I finally found a place that was working, and, and I have to leave because of all of these problems again. And yet, what happened in Berea? Again, people now have eternal life in that city that did not have it prior to Paul's arrival. The gospel reached people. Good things happened. You can focus on the negative. You can focus on how difficult things become. But... What God consistently does is find ways to overcome. He goes to Athens. He goes to Athens, and he gets this incredible opportunity to speak to the, the world-class philosophers of the day. Athens is as far from Jerusalem as you can imagine. I'm not talking geographically. Uh, in, like, social order and worldview and philosophy, uh, Athens and Jerusalem aren't really, you know, they, they don't mesh very well. Um, but Paul gets to Athens— and not only is he surrounded by all the idols and seeing all the paganism, he gets an opportunity to speak to the philosophers of the day, and he presents the message of Jesus. We'll talk about this message tonight in our lesson. Uh, but he does so in a profound way that would have deep resonance with a pagan audience. And when he mentions the resurrection of Jesus, you get to Acts chapter 17 in verse 32. It says, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. This backwoods, you know, Jew coming up here to where the wisest and most philosophically educated people in the world are. And he's going to start talking about the resurrection. 
Uh, Greeks at the time, they believed in life after death. They believed in like the immortality of the soul. Uh, that's, that's Plato's ideology. But they did not believe in like the Jewish and Christian view of an actual literal resurrection from the dead, where your body comes back. And Paul begins teaching that, and uh, they sneer and laugh at the idea. But not all of them. It's like, it would be kind of I don't know, embarrassing maybe, you get the opportunity to go and present your ideas to uh, the, the wisest and most educated people of the day. You get invited to Harvard or to Oxford to present your ideas, and as you do so, you begin seeing people sneer and snicker and laugh. Uh, it would be hard to continue that message. Honestly, like, I taught seventh graders, and when they start sneering and snickering, it's like, even that's hard to take. It's like, it's difficult to keep going when you can tell that people you're talking to aren't taking you seriously, and they have no respect for, uh, for what you're thinking. Paul doesn't let that stop him, though, because that wasn't everybody. You have to learn how to kind of censor those people in your mind and focus on the second half of this verse. But others said, we will hear you again concerning this. Others were willing to listen a little bit more. And believe it or not, some, verse 34, and some of the men joined him and believed. There were some, even in Athens, the least likely city in the world for people to become uh, adherents to a Jewish Messiah, even some of them came to believe. Paul then goes to Corinth, and guess what? Problems are going to emerge there as well. He stays there about like a year and a half. Uh, and he gets this really encouraging message from Jesus while he's there. Acts chapter 18 and uh, verse 9. Jesus actually appears in a vision and says, And the Lord said to Paul uh, in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Um, I think after, after the split with Barnabas, after continually meeting resistance with the very plans of God, after going into Philippi and being beaten and thrown in prison, after going into Thessalonica and having to escape at midnight because of a, a, a mob that's trying to attack you, going to Berea and having your good work squandered there, going to Athens and being laughed at, going to Corinth now, I think this is a pretty needed message. Uh, I think this is a pretty important word of comfort. And I think it's a word of comfort that, uh, that we could benefit from as well. He's going to run into problems in Corinth also. Um, but he's going to be able to stay there. He's going to be able to do some good work there. And he's going to be able to start another church there. And I think a message that we can learn, and it's something that we could benefit from reading through this, even though we've skipped a ton of important stuff in this section, I think what we can learn is that there are going to be conflicts that come our way. There are going to be seasons of darkness. There are going to be seasons of despair, and that could very easily lead towards hopelessness. But with God, we are never hopeless. With God, there is always a horizon that on the other side, there is, there is hope, even if we can't see it right in front of us. Uh, after eat, I don't remember the exact quote that started off this uh, worship service, but something along the lines of after each sunset, there is a sunrise. Uh, after the cross, there is a resurrection. After pain, there is joy. After death, there is life. 
And I think that's a message that plays out in many different ways, but you see it in all kinds of of brilliance throughout uh, the book of Acts, and I believe you can see it in the life of the church today as well. So here's the challenge as we bring our lesson to a close. Be malleable. Be willing to adapt in progress. Sometimes things won't go as we plan. Sometimes unexpected hardships will arise. Sometimes despair will set in. But you change, you adapt, you accept, and you progress. You move on from it. In life, things will rarely come easily, and they will rarely go as planned. And the Bible actually encourages us, uh, as we make plans for the future, to do so with the phrase, if the Lord wills in mind. Because you never know what the Lord, what his, like, I can't read his mind. Uh, So we can be faithful and obedient and trusting, and we adapt with what the Lord does. Don't set your plans in stone, but be willing to change as the Lord, uh, as the Lord guides us. Um, There's an expression used in Acts 17, as they're in Thessalonica, uh, that these men who have changed the world or upset the world or turned the world upside down have come here also. I think one of the ways that that happens is by not giving up in the face of sorrow or adversity, but continuing to have the hope and joy of God. And uh, as we bring our lesson to a close, I challenge each of us to change, to have the hope of God as we do so, and to be willing to progress as difficult as it sometimes may seem. And if there's anyone here who would like to become a Christian this morning, if there's anyone here who would like the prayers of the church or the encouragement of the church, we pray that you would let that be known. You can tell one of our elders uh, in the back in the library, or you can come sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.